Welcome to the Radical Imagination Podcast, where we dive into the stories and solutions that are fueling change. I'm your host, Angela Glover Blackwell. Today, we focus our attention on a new vision for how care works in this country. Domestic workers and caregivers have long been undervalued, underpaid, and performed difficult work with little labor protections or government standards. But before we dive into imagining a new care industry, we turn to a story that helps us better understand the dedication, reliability, and skills that caregiving entails. Michelle Martin is a caregiver from Chicago. She cares for her elderly parents, her daughter, and two young children, all while navigating through a dysfunctional system and during a pandemic. She is also an advocate in her own community, and she's helping lead a revolution around caregiving. Today, she joins us from her home in the middle of a regular workday. Michelle, welcome to Radical Imagination. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Let me jump right in. How long have you been a caregiver and who have you been caring for throughout the years? I've been a caregiver for quite a few years. I've been my mother's medicinal power of attorney for the last six or seven years. So everything medical that the doctors want to do, they have to speak to me first and make sure I'm aware of everything from the changes of medication to having her come in for her monthly appointments. I have a soon-to-be 13-year-old daughter, and I also take care of a three-year-old and a four-year-old niece and nephew of mine. You were also taking care of your father for a while. My dad, I didn't start until after he retired and was diagnosed with prostate cancer. I took over taking care of my father during the course of his radiation treatments. He drove himself there every day along with my help, and um, he came through cancer-free. And now he's back to his old self. I don't have to do as much for my dad, but I still take care of my mother's needs. What is your environment like where you're doing this work? At this very moment, mom and dad is watching their favorite show in the heat of the night. My daughter, Deandra, is just going back to her social science class. The babies are napping. So this is kind of my quiet time in the day. What's a typical day with you having all these responsibilities? I'm assuming that your mother is living with you also? Yes, we all live together. So everybody is there. What's a typical day for you? A typical Michelle day, the babies come in about 630 because that's when their dad leaves for work. Mom take her rest until about nine. So while the babies and my daughter are in school, I get time with them. And then mom gets up about nine. We fix her breakfast and make sure she takes her morning meds and get the day started for her, which includes sometimes medical appointments and phone appointments with the doctor because during COVID, you know, we're not allowed to go in with them now. They have to go into the doctor's office alone. So that's kind of a tedious task of making sure that I'm able to talk to her doctors and find out everything that's going on with her being at home while she's there. And I understand that your mother had a caregiver who passed due to COVID. Is that right? Yes. Her caregiver passed will be a year this April. And how have your caregiving responsibilities changed since the start of the pandemic? Since the start of the pandemic, since everybody's been at home, the needs for my parents have been me being more involved in their care 
because their doctor's appointments have went to the phone instead of being in person. I have to pay attention to taking my dad's blood pressure and taking my mom's temp so I have all their vitals for their doctors when they call. And my mother is a diabetic, making sure all her sugar dialogues are in order. But when her endocrinologist call and make sure her diabetes is still on point the way it was pre-pandemic. So it's more hands-on in the sense of I'm doing the vitals instead of when I get to the doctor, they're doing the vitals. So I have to do all that and keep a log for the doctors now, more so than I had pre-pandemic. And what keeps the little ones occupied when you're having to do that medical work? They like to help. So I let them hold the thermometer. When I take one's temp, they like to help and pass me the utensils. They feel like they're helping grandma and papa. I bet that makes them feel good, too. And let's talk about your mom some more. Why is it important for you to be involved in your mother's care? What's what's the role of your advocacy in making sure that she's getting what she needs? I want to be there to speak up for my mom and make sure they're hearing her. So I learned as a child, my mom took care of her mom that way. So I noticed, you know, going to the doctor with my mom and my grandmother, that they would always look to the person who's their caregiver to give them more insight on what is going on. So I like to be there as my mom advocate and let them know that she's doing what she's supposed to, to keep her rheumatism as well as her diabetes under control. Michelle, if you were to take a step back and reimagine the way care works in this country without some of the challenges that you've witnessed and experienced, what would the care system look like if you could reimagine it? It would be an equal playing field. Our seniors wouldn't get selective care based upon where they live. In this city where I live, according to your zip code, sometimes you're not able to get the insurance you need to pay for the care you need. And I would love to see a level playing field for seniors of color. And what do you think the care system should pay attention to in terms of pay and benefits? and taking care of the needs of the caregiver within the system. We need our care up to par too because we have to be in good care to be able to take care of the people that we take care of. And pay, they don't give us enough money to do what we do. The gap in how much we get paid in comparison to people who work in a doctor's office is far too wide. Even more now in the pandemic, we're doing the same thing you're doing, but we're doing it at home with them on a daily basis. Taking their vitals, making sure their meds are accurate, making sure they're doing everything that you told us to do for them. But our pay does not suggest that that's what we do. I do it for my parents because of the love I have for them. How would you think about the importance of the caregiver in that larger context? Caregivers are important in that light because some people can't afford to take off their job to be able to take care of their parents and other loved ones. They can't afford it. Their bills outweigh what they need to do for their parents. And we come in and we do everything that needs to be done to make life easier for the people that we're helping. 
The families appreciate us. We just need other people to shine a light on the importance of what we do. Michelle, thank you for talking with us today. You're so welcome. Michelle Morton is a community advocate and caregiver based in Chicago. Coming up on Radical Imagination, we hear about a radical effort to reimagine how care works in this country. Stay with us. More when we come back. Are you someone who wants to create a society where all can participate and prosper? Visit our website at RadicalImagination.us to take action and connect with campaigns and organizations around issues covered by this podcast. It's crucial that we get support to continue to lift up stories and solutions to address our most pressing problems. To do this, we need you to tell your friends and family about Radical Imagination. Ask them to subscribe, share, and comment on their chosen podcast platform. Like what you've heard today? Tell us about it. Go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review Radical Imagination. And thank you. And we're back. Before COVID, women caregivers were already two and a half times more likely to live in poverty than non-caregivers, performing billions of dollars in unpaid labor each year. The pandemic has worsened the financial strain on parents and other caregivers. The burden has fallen disproportionately on Black and immigrant women who have had to care for other families while still finding a way to care for their own. For more on this, we're joined by Ajin Poo. She's the co-founder and executive director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, which is pushing, along with many other organizations, for a radically reimagined care industry. Ajin, welcome to Radical Imagination. Thank you so much, Angela. It's so good to be in conversation with you. What kinds of jobs are we talking about when we refer to the care industry? We're talking about all of the jobs that support families across the lifespan. That's early childhood educators, child care providers, and it's also home care workers, home health aides, people who support the elderly and people with chronic illnesses and people with disabilities to live independently in their homes and communities. There's basically a whole army of workers who are overwhelmingly women and disproportionately women of color who do the work to care for the people that we love in order to make everything else possible in our economy. That's who care workers are. What are some of the biggest struggles that workers in this industry face and how far back in time do these trends go? Well, you know, if you think about the work itself of caregiving, it's work that's always been associated with women and in many ways taken for granted that women will just do and figure out. And as a profession, it's been associated with women of color, especially black women and immigrant women of color. And some of our first domestic workers, for example, were enslaved African women and 
the history of racism and the legacy of slavery in this country has deeply shaped how we've treated this workforce in law and policy. The best example being in the New Deal context when Congress was debating the labor laws that would become the foundation of our nation's labor policy. Southern Dixiecrats refused to support those measures if they included protections for farm workers and domestic workers who were black workers at the time. And so those laws were enacted with those exclusions. And those exclusions really shaped how we treated this workforce as less than real work. And if you think about it, Angela, we still refer to care work as help as opposed to a real profession because of that history. How do people find work, get paid, and what are the working conditions like? And I know it has to vary, but is there a general description of these things? Well, I would say that the industry is incredibly disaggregated, meaning that you could go into any neighborhood and not know which homes are also workplaces. There are even daycare centers that are inside of homes and care is happening everywhere. But there is a part of the care workforce whose income is funded through publicly funded programs like Medicaid, for example. And the one common thread across the board, whether we're looking at uh, institution or center-based care, or we're looking at publicly funded or privately funded care, the one common denominator is the low wages and the lack of access to a safety net. The average annual income of a home care worker, for example, is only $17,000 per year. Can you imagine? So the people that we're counting on to take care of us and our loved ones can hardly take care of themselves and their own loved ones on the income that they earn. And that is what we need to change. It is shocking how people rely on others to care for the thing that is most important in their lives and care so little for the people who are doing it. How is the pandemic altered the lives of caregivers and why is addressing it so important right now? The pandemic has allowed us to see so many of the inequities and the injustices and the fragilities of the way that the economy functioned before. And I think what happened when everybody was at home and realizing that it's impossible to take care of your loved ones on your own, managing at home while working. And right, people had children home from school struggling with online learning while they were trying to work remotely. They had parents who were being evacuated from nursing homes. Everything came crashing down in the pandemic. And I think it really highlighted for the general public in an unprecedented way, just how important caregiving is and how much we need public policy and a real infrastructure to support our caregiving needs in this day and age.
Through your work with the National Domestic Workers Alliance and Caring Across Generations, you've won Domestic Workers Bill of Rights in 10 different states and federal overtime and minimum wage protections for more than 2 million home care workers. Could you talk about what that meant for the industry, for workers? Well, I'm happy to report that Virginia just became the most recent state to pass a Domestic Workers Bill of Rights. And we have two cities, Philadelphia and Seattle, that have passed groundbreaking legislation to protect the rights of domestic workers. We have sought to bring domestic workers under equal protections in the state's labor laws, and that can be inclusion in wage protections, In the state of Massachusetts, we were able to win maternity leave or parental leave. Um, In uh, the city of Philadelphia, we were able to win a portable paid time off mandate so that the 16,000 domestic workers now have the right to paid time off. What we're trying to do is not just bring domestic workers under protections that were put into place for workers in the 1930s, but really chart the way forward so that these jobs can be a real pathway to economic security and mobility for the workers who do it. And how is it enforced? How do people know what their rights are and how are workers able to make sure that their rights are respected and protected? It's just uniquely complicated to think about how you raise and enforce standards. But organizing is a powerful tool, and it's one of the reasons why changing our culture and changing the narrative about this work has also been such a huge part of our strategy, making sure that people really do understand that this is a profession, and it's work equal to all other forms of work, and that if you employ someone to work in your home, that there is also an obligation to recognize and support the rights of that worker. It is your responsibility to do so. And so I think it is a long-term effort to try to change the way that we culturally think, feel, and treat this workforce. And I think now is the time as we have a huge and growing need for care in this country Home care, for example, is one of the fastest growing occupations in the entire U.S. labor market because there's such a huge need for this work. And so if ever there was a time to really professionalize and change the way that we treat this work, it really is now. What are some of the other changes your organizations and those you're in solidarity with have you been able to accomplish so far? We have actually created a portable benefits platform that allows for employers of domestic workers to contribute on a prorated basis to their house cleaners or their nanny's ability to have access to benefits um, for the very first time. Um, So for example, if you have someone come clean your home, if you sign up for the Aaliyah platform, you can make a contribution on top of the cleaning fee into her benefits account and she can accrue contributions from all of her clients and eventually she can decide what benefit she wants to apply the money in her benefits account towards. It's an innovation that we think really demonstrates that everyone 
who works deserves benefits. And we need to be thinking about how we innovate to make sure that all of the workers who are working in our economy have access to a safety net. And if ever there was a time when that was both urgent and essential, it's coming out of this pandemic where so many people lost their jobs, lost their income, and had the sort of foundation fall out from underneath them. And we really do need to figure out how we build a safety net that keeps everyone safe. And I understand that now there's a national campaign to build an equitable care infrastructure and that this is being led by Caring Across Generations and many other national gender equity organizations. Tell us about the campaign. It's so exciting. Um, For the first time, all kinds of organizations who share common values about the incredible importance of supporting caregiving and our caregivers are working together. So it's child care advocates, it's paid leave advocates, it's family caregivers, it's people with disabilities and their advocates to ensure that as our new administration and Congress develop a plan for economic recovery out of the COVID crisis, that they really invest in our caregiving infrastructure and care jobs as a central component of that strategy. And when we think about the enormous numbers of women and women of color who've been pushed out of the workforce because of caregiving challenges in the pandemic, What better way than ensuring that they can have access to care? I mean, every care job is a job enabling job. Every child care provider, every home care worker is going to support other working age adults to get back to work again. And so our campaign is called Care Can't Wait. And we're working together to ensure that Congress and President Biden and Vice President Harris hear from caregivers around the country and know that we are with them in championing a strong care infrastructure coming out of this economic crisis. What can we expect to happen on the policy front around care during the Biden administration? Well, President Biden's agenda as part of Build Back Better includes a really holistic vision for investing in our caregiving infrastructure for the 21st century. And it includes strengthening our child care program and infrastructure. It includes paid leave. It includes strengthening our home care infrastructure for home and community-based services and strengthening the workforce and Our movement is going to be working to make that plan a reality. And if we're able, if we're successful, it will be a transformative change towards that vision that we just talked about. It will be a huge down payment on the ability to move us towards a 21st century universal caregiving infrastructure that I think will really allow us as a country to thrive in a totally different way. It has made it so clear that we are interdependent within this economy, and the care industry certainly is at the heart of it. This is a podcast called Radical Imagination, and what we try to do is imagine what it is that we want and what we would all have that would be better if we could transform ourselves into a more caring economy in general. What would a reimagined, more equitable care industry actually look like, Ajin? 
Imagine, Angela, if from the time that you're considering having a family, you could count on the idea that if you give birth to a child, you could take time off and not have to worry about losing your job so you could spend those early days with your newborn. And then when you're ready to go back to work, to know that you have access to good childcare, quality early childhood education for your child. And then if you were to develop a disability, to know that you would have the support you needed to actually continue to live independently and be a fully participating and productive member of society. And then as you age and become more frail, to know that you would have real options for your care, that you could potentially stay in your own home and still be the author of your own story, even as you become more frail and have a dignified quality of life into your older years. And it would also ensure that every single worker in our care economy has a living wage with benefits, economic security, the right to join a union, and if an immigrant, a pathway to citizenship. And we would secure an infrastructure for care for the 21st century. Ajin, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you for having me, Angela. Ajin Poo is the executive director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance and director of Caring Across Generations. After spending time with Ai-Jin and Michelle, I'm filled with hope, awe, and appreciation. Hope that the nation will finally stop ascribing value of work based on the history of slavery and oppression and fully respect and fairly compensate those who care for the most important people in our lives. Awe of the incredible work that the Care Can't Wait campaign has done to change the culture and narrative of care in our country and appreciation for the critical work that folks like Michelle do to make every other part of our economy possible. Radical imagination operates in big and small ways to help us redesign a society in which all can participate, prosper, and reach their full potential. We must use radical imagination to expand our vision of vital infrastructure beyond roads and bridges to include the complete array of people advocating and caring for our loved ones. We and our partners at Unfinished invite you to reflect and respond to this question. How would our society be different if we truly valued care? Submit your ideas at RadicalImagination.us or on social media using hashtag RadicalImagination and hashtag ThisIsUnfinished. Radical Imagination was produced by Futuro Studios for PolicyLink. The Futuro Studios team includes Marlon Bishop, Andres Caballero, Antonio Sarahito, Ruxanja Guidi, Stephanie LeBeau, Julia Caruso, Leah Shaw Dameron, and Jess Avarenga. 
The Policy Link team includes Glenda Johnson, Rachel Gashinga, Virtual Ramos, Eugene Chan, Fran Smith, Jacob Gulkashian, and Venice Dunn. Radical Imagination is supported by Omidyar Network, the David and Lucille Packard Foundation, Pivotal Ventures, the Melinda Gates Company, and Unfinished. Our theme music is composed by Taka Yusasawa and Alex Zagira. And I'm your host, Angela Glover Blackwell. Join us again next time. And in the meantime, you can find us online at radicalimagination.us. Remember to subscribe and share. Next time on Radical Imagination, pleasure activism. One of the things that is most natural about us is that we are wired for pleasure and connectiveness and interdependence. We're wired for joy. That's next time on Radical Imagination.